Heavenly Father, we're just so grateful that we that you are so much more than worthy of all the praise we could muster, Lord. We just thank you that we can rejoice in that. Amen. Amen. Come, let us sing for joy to the Lord. Let us shout aloud to the rock of our salvation. Let us come before him with thanksgiving and extol him with music and song. For the Lord is the great God, the great King above all gods. In his hand are the depths of the earth, and the mountain peaks belong to him. The sea is his, for he made it, and his hand formed the dry land. Come, let us bow down in worship. Let us kneel before the Lord our Maker, for he is our God, and we are the people of his pasture, the flock under his care. Today, if only you would hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as you did at Maribeth, as you did that day at Massa in the wilderness, where your ancestors tested me. They tried me, though they had seen what I did. For 40 years, I was angry with that generation. I said, they are a people whose hearts go astray, and they have not known my ways. So I declared on oath of my anger, they shall never enter my rest. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Thanks be to God. Stephen, thank you. Well, we're thinking about how we have a king in Psalm 95 who is worthy of praise and also following. A king is worthy of praise and following. And I think the aim of this psalm is to help us as a people come together and enjoy Jesus and enjoy following him. It's not always that easy, is it? Shall we pray? Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you, Lord, for your word. We praise you, Lord, for these songs, Lord, of your people, uh, Lord, that were made by you, words given by you, your words for your people. Uh, Lord, to engage their hearts, to help their minds to know you better, to help their emotions be channeled and drawn to you, to help lives be shaped in a glorious and lovely way by you. I pray, Lord, that you would help that happen for us this morning by your Spirit as we look at your word. Amen. Amen. So we want, the, hopefully at the end of this, the aim of this psalm, you know, come let us sing, is that we would enjoy Jesus and enjoy uh, following him. That's what I hope we're going to see. Um, and why, why, why do you want to listen to this? You want to listen to this because it's God's word, always. It's God's word, so you definitely want to listen. But this specific word, why do you want to listen to this specific one? Because if you want to change your attitude to God, maybe to Jesus, maybe... Uh, you're feeling particularly numb about Jesus today. Maybe you're feeling joyless, or, or you just have an uninspired heart, or, or your, your obedience to Jesus is kind of unwilling and grudging. I can't, now I've got to do it, and other people expect me to do it. I'm not really sure. Or maybe you're just forgetful about God, and you haven't really thought about him until you turn up here, and suddenly you think, oh gosh, I haven't really done much of that. This, I hope, uh, word uh, with me and I hope with you will change your way that you hopefully think and feel your attitude towards God uh, God knows that we're like that he knows that we find this hard and that's why he gives his people these words so that we might call on each other come and enjoy God come and see how wonderful he is and how wonderful it is having him as king following him isn't he great 
that he gives us this. He's not cross with us. He's not kind of angry and harsh, but he gives us words to help us. And so in these words uh, that try and nurture our hearts, there are two parts. I don't know if you noticed that, but there's this sort of come and verse two, let us, and then um, come in verse six. And then it changes at the end of verse seven, where it says today, if only you would hear his voice. So the sort of first part is the call to come and worship. Come on, everyone, let's come and worship. And the second part in verse seven is actually we want to obey God. We want to, it's a call to listen to his voice and, and live for him as our king. Because these Psalms from 95 through to 100 are all about God being this amazing king. And they're looking forward to Jesus being the king of kings and our king today in the kingdom of heaven. So, heartfelt praise for the Lord. I think that's our first point. Heartfelt praise for the Lord. Verse 1, do you see what it says? Come, let us sing, let us shout aloud. To who? To the Lord, to the rock of our salvation. And then in verse 2 again, let us come before him with thanksgiving and extol him. That's an old funny word, isn't it? I think it means basically you're just saying he's great. Yeah? It's just enjoying who he is, just that he is the Lord, that he is the rock of salvation, that he is someone we can come to. Verse 3, that he is the Lord who is great. Do you see that? So verse 1, we're, we're being called to come and uh, worship this Lord. And the little capital letters mean that you've got the Yahweh word in the Hebrew, which means the person who made everyone and everything. We, we, want it, we want to sing to joy because he is this creator. And it's also the, the name of God that reminds us that God made these amazing promises to his people. To make them his people, to put them in his amazing land and to bless them. And that he did that. So it's just this God who keeps his promises and promises good things. Or in verse 1, who is he? He's the rock of our salvation. That is, he's a God who rescues he is unshakable, immovable, even by sea or wind or sun or fire. He is a sure and safe haven. That's who God is, and that's why we want to shout aloud to him. And guess what? He belongs to someone. Did you notice that? The rock of our salvation. Sorry, the salvation belongs to something. The salvation, the rescue, belongs to you and I. It belongs to God's people. And so we want to shout aloud about that. Verse 3, who is he? He's this great God. There is none bigger or more powerful. Which means he's dependable, doesn't it? You know, he's not like politicians who are suddenly going to find they're overruled by something. He's this great God. There's none bigger than him. Verse 3, what else is he? He's the great king above all gods. He rules over everyone and everything, even the gods you might make up. There's no one over him. There's no one who tells God what to do. There's no one he bows down to. There's no one that God has to obey. There's no one that God depends upon. He doesn't even depend upon chance. Nothing is a surprise to God. Not even fate rules over God because nothing happens without his say-so. Not even the cosmic forces of physics bind God. Because there is no personal thing that he hasn't made or put into being. There's no planet that he hasn't commanded to be in that place. Or amazing gravitational wave that is ten light years long. That's all God. He is awesome. 
There is no personal thing greater than God. You know, you want to have the biggest person in the universe, don't you, when you're suffering or when life's hard? You want the most mighty. Well, look no further than the Lord. And he's ours. And so we want to come and go, wow, you're amazing. And verse 4 and 5, they paint this image, don't they, that God is so huge that all of creation is like a little model in his hand. Right, when my son brings me his little spitfire that he's made and it fits in his hand and he's holding it so delicately. Look what God's like. Can you see in verse 4? In his hands are the depths of the earth and the mountain peaks belong to him. Everything in between. The sea is his, for he made it, and his hands formed the dry land. The whole thing, all of creation, is God's, because he made it. There's nothing in creation that is bigger than God, because it was all made. But God wasn't. If he made it out of nothing, he owns it, he controls it, he sustains it. And so, verse 6 is right, isn't it? This is morally right to do verse 6. Come, let us bow down in worship. Let us kneel before the Lord, the Maker. Because he made us, it is right that we say, yeah, you're amazing and wonderful, and actually I should pay you attention. It would be immoral not to do that. We're recognising when we do that, when we worship, when we kneel down, we're recognising our dependence. Without God, we would not have life. We're recognising our smallness. Without God, we haven't got anything against fate or chance. Have we? We're recognising actually that we need him and that we have a relationship with him. Isn't that marvellous? See verse 7? That is wonderful, isn't it? For he is our God. We own God. That sounds a bit offensive, doesn't it? But he's our God. It's not because of anything we've done but because God has come and made us his people and then he's bought us by the blood of Christ shed for us so that we might belong to him and we belong to him. We have here today Mr. and Mrs. Tasker. Mr. and Mrs. Tasker, welcome! Who have recently got married and they've done exactly that. They belong to each other because they've made those marriage vows. Well, brilliantly, guess what? We, as God's people in Jesus, we have our God. The God that we have is not a small God. He is the great God. He's not a God over whom anyone directs or controls or frustrates. He is the great God, the great King above all gods. That's who we have in Jesus. That is amazing, isn't it? And the story of the whole Bible is this amazing, powerful God. The story of this amazing, powerful God who rescues a people for himself he provides a sacrifice to wash away their sin. He provides a good shepherd who lays down his life for his sheep in John 10. And that is Jesus, the Son of God. And that is a fulfilment of what we see in the last bit. Can you see, having a God, belonging to a God, is only good if that God is going to be nice, right? If he's evil, it'll be horrible. But look at the end of verse 7. He is our God. And what are we? We are the people of his pasture, the flock under his this amazing God looks after us and we belong to him and he belongs to us and we see that when Jesus died on the cross 
and he rose from the dead as that good shepherd who laid down his life for us so that we might belong to him and he belonged to us. And it also shows us, doesn't it, how great his care is. He's not a negligent shepherd, but he's someone who dies for you and I. That's how much he cares. I think this is the simple equation that I like that helps my heart. It helps my heart. Have I turned this off? No, that's right. This helps my heart uh, to thrill at God. And it's what we have here. You have a creator king. Creator king. Like this. That's not bad. Can anyone see that? Okay, so I'd like to remember, who is this God? He is the creator king. And you're slightly blown away when you look at the stars on your holiday and you think, yeah, he made all that. Wow, he's quite big. But then I like to think of how messy I am. So I put messy me in here. Uh, I might have, this might, is this going to work? Yes. Here's messy me. Very easy to, to, to dwell on that when I'm on holiday. I only have to be in the car for about five minutes, literally, with the end of our raid and the children are fighting. I'm losing my rag. And I'm thinking, wow, yes, I am not a particularly wonderful person at running my life. Thank you that there's this amazing creator God. But this creator king belongs to me and I belong to him. And that's because there's a plus sign in the middle and that plus sign, oh, look at that. It's the cross, isn't it? And so I remember the good shepherd that is Jesus in the middle who dies for me. How big is our God? How awesome is he? How far away am I from him? How much does he care in the cross of Christ? Which equals at the end, oh, it hasn't worked, has it? I don't know where you put the equal sign. Okay, that equals the joy and the singing in the this was the wrong pen to choose as well. You probably can hardly see it at the back. Listen, what this psalm does for us is it reminds us, oh, God is massive. And I am not. But because of the good shepherd, I am his and he is mine. And he cares for me. Wow. And it makes the hair stand up on the end of my, my arm. No, it makes my, the hairs on my arm stand up on end. Creator King, messy me, Jesus in the middle. That is wonderful. That's what this psalm is doing. And why it can say, come, let us sing for joy at this God who is amazing. Do you see that? Here's the second point. The second point is having responsive hearts for the Lord. If we've just seen, look, heartfelt praise from the Lord. Big God, messy me, Jesus equals heartfelt praise. Then this next bit is basically a call to have responsive hearts to the Lord. Not hard hearts, but responsive hearts. Hearts that respond in obedience, that love to do what he says. Not just worshipping and enjoying Jesus, that's brilliant, but also doing, responding to his words. Can you see that? You could spend a life just going, Jesus, you're brilliant, you're brilliant, you're brilliant, you're brilliant. But actually, if you're not doing what he says, it sort of empties it, doesn't it? And so this psalm finishes with these words. Today... If only you would hear his voice. If only you and I, if only the people of God, would hear this God's voice. And then we have God speaking in verse 8. And he says, he pleads with us, Look, as a people, do not harden your hearts as you did at Meribah and as you did that day at Massa in the wilderness. You can read about that in Exodus 17, but you don't need to know about it because it says in the next verse, where your ancestors tested me. They tried me, said God, 
though they had seen what I did. The aim of verse 7 is that we would hear the voice of this amazing God, this good shepherd that is Jesus, and not just listen, but also obey. Uh, because that's what verse 8, the people of God did wrong when they were in the wilderness. They didn't believe his promise that he was going to bring them to rest. That's why in verse 11 it says, So I declared on my oath, on my anger, they shall never enter my rest. God had promised, I will make you my people, I'll save you, and then you're going to follow me, and I, you will enter my amazing rest in the promised land. And the problem is these guys didn't believe God. They didn't hear his word, and they didn't follow it. There are people whose hearts, rather than following this good shepherd, uh, what do their hearts do? They go astray. Can you see that in verse 10? For 40 years I was angry with this generation. I said they are a people whose hearts go astray. Can you see that? It's all about the heart. Is your heart going to follow Jesus and be soft and listen and obey? Or is it going to go astray? And Is it going to test God? Is it not going to believe in this promise that you've got salvation and you will be brought home? And what's shocking is this happens even though they'd seen what God was like and what he'd done. Can you see in verse 9? Where your ancestors tested me, they tried me, though they had seen what I did. What they had seen is God rescue them from slavery in Egypt. What they'd seen is this creator God part the sea and bring them out. What they had seen is God providing everything they need in the wilderness. They'd seen this massive creator God who cares for his messy people, and yet their hearts still went astray. They still didn't listen or obey. That's a bit shocking, isn't it? What is it? It's a hardness of heart, a disobedience, a lack of faith that obeys, that tests the Lord and tried his infinite patience. And the result was that that whole generation was excluded from the promised land and God's rest in verse 11. So it's a warning to us. It's God pleading with us. He's saying, come on, remember who I am. Remember how I've saved you in Jesus. Remember how I've provided stuff for you in your life and how my promises are true and I'll bring you home because I am, what does it say? In verse 3, I am the great God, the king, the great king above all gods. And the lovely thing is, is that those who have seen the salvation of Jesus those who trusted in Jesus, those who wait on the promised rest of God in Jesus when he brings heaven, for those of us who have God's words in our hands, it's a warning, isn't it, to have hearts that aren't hard but soft, hearts that are inclined to listen, not ignore, to obey, not disobey. And the wonderful thing is, is we know that with Jesus we never need fear being excluded from God's rest. Because he's paid the whole price, hasn't he? So even though we get it wrong, even though our hearts are hard, even though sometimes we are numb, we take that to Jesus and he forgives us, doesn't he? But it's still a call to us to say, don't let your hearts be hard. Have hearts that are responsive to God by remembering who he is and what he's done in Jesus and who we are to him. It's like Jesus, uh, you know, the confidence that we have about never being excluded from the kingdom. It's like Jesus is our, on holiday, he is our ticket and our plane. 
We've boarded the plane, trusting in Jesus our ticket, and we are in Christ, in the plane, and it takes off and we are on holiday. And there is nothing that can stop us getting to holiday now once we're on that plane, is there? If we are in Christ, there is nothing that can stop us from entering God's rest if we trust in him. But we are warned here not to harden our hearts against Jesus because if we are to fall away from him, then that's like ex exiting the plane mid-flight, isn't it? That's a disaster. Hebrews, uh, the letter of Hebrews quotes this psalm uh, in verse 11 particularly, and it reminds in Hebrews 4.1 that the promise of entering into God's rest still stands for us. We are waiting for that. And it challenges us, will we have the faith of those who obey? It's not enough just to believe in Jesus or to admire him. Real repentance works itself out in our obedience to the King of all kings. Our hearts are sensitive to God's words, ready, willing, eager even to live for him. Or are your hearts instead growing cold and hard towards God's word? You might find God's word difficult, but if you're looking at it and you're thinking, yes, I want to do this, but it's so hard, then you are sensitive, aren't you? And you've got a responsive heart. That's a great thing. But if you're looking at God's word and no, no, then is your heart being hardened if you're not even making it to God's word? And so what? What does this mean for us? Well, the application, I think, is this. Listen, if you're young here today, the big question that you've got to work out as a teenager or a young, a young adult is, is Jesus worth it? That's what you've got to work out. Is he really that lovely? And one thing that you want to check, is your heart hardening or softening at the minute to Jesus? Hardened hearts, literally, where your heart literally jumps when you hear something from God's word in a sermon or you read something and you literally feel where the world and my own heart desires, they clash with God's word and they bump like that. And it's just, it's a hard thing. And I don't know, I want nothing to do with it. All I want to do is stand up and leave. All I want to do is turn that off. Is your heart hard there? Can you, can you pray to God to soften your heart so that when that happens, you might, well, I know who this God is. He's this creator king who's died for me and he wants to care for me. I know he's that. So, Lord, help me soften my heart. Let me soften my heart against, with your words, I pray, Lord, because I don't understand them. They seem hard. They make me stick out, Lord. But please help me have a soft heart. Or maybe it's when it comes to church. You know, I meet loads of people who aren't in church because they've had a terrible experience with church or because the people have been a bit rubbish. I'm afraid to say that if you're here today, the one thing that we all know is that we're not actually great people, aren't we? We are messy. And so do you harden your heart to God's command to be in church because of that? Or do you soften your heart as a young person growing up? When you're at uni or you're at school, do you harden your hearts about that and think, I'm not going to go to see you, I don't want anything to do with, with, the, with the local church at uni? Or do you keep your heart responsive to the word and think even though it's been difficult and people have been rude or they've said something offensive, do you know what, this is my creator king who died for messy me so that he might care for me. So I'm going to keep trying. I want to have soft hearts to that word of his to be part of God's people and not on my own. Alive and sensitive to all he says. What about if you're a Christian here today? Look, this is a challenge, isn't it, to check how's your joy in the Lord? How's your sensitivity to God's word and your desire to live for him? 
The danger is, is there's a familiarity with Jesus, isn't there, that breeds a boredom or a hardness of heart. Can we make God as great as possible or do you make God as small? Maybe life seems too tough, circumstances too hard, God feels too far away, just like the Israelites did in the desert. But do we remember the promise of his rest still stands and he is this great God who has died for messy me so that he might care for us and we might have the joy of him. And so can we still come together and call one another like this psalm does, to praise him and to have hearts that are responsive to his word. That's what we want, isn't it? To have hearts that are quick to live for him. Not what can I get away with, what's the most I can do for him. And we do that, don't we? As a church family, we can do that as we share messages with one another. Lots of you are great at this. Putting a bit of Bible in, saying I'm praying for you, reminding people of suffering, how great God is. It's in how we meet up and call each other to, to prayers of praise, not just petition. Maybe you're going around to someone else in church for a meal or something. I hope you're doing that lots. Don't forget to pray. I always find it really hard to do that, but it's so good to pray and not just to pray for the people and what you want for them and what they want, but also just to pray, Lord, your grace. Delight in the Lord together and call each other to do that. That's brilliant, isn't it? And we do that all the time. God is good. Oh, uh, the uh, Ugandan, I've done this a few times because uh, we've got the Ugandan trip out at the minute, we're praying for them. I love a call and response they have in Uganda, a martyr seminary. Um, they say, um, uh, have I got it right? Oh yeah, there it is. They say, God is good. You say, all the time. God is good. Then, you, then I say, all the time. You've got it. It's so simple, isn't it? But all it does is it's calling us to remember, yes, big God, loved by Jesus, he is good. It can be as simple as that. Listen, maybe you're here today, you're not yet a Christian. Can I ask you, who is your king if not this king? What have you got instead of Jesus? The world tells us that we are king, but we're not. Listen, look at this. I can't even keep the food off my shirt. You know, how am I going to run my life? I'm not king. And so what happens is we substitute in other kings. Maybe it's chance. It's just bad luck. Oh, that was, that was so lucky there. Is luck your king? I tell you, that's not a good place to be because there's no pity with luck, is there? There's no sorrow. There's no reason behind the bad stuff that happens. There's no predictability about your future. And in the end, you just die and that's it. Or maybe you think, which seems to be a trend in lots of the uh, things that are on television at the minute, it, that the universe is just chaos all the way down. All the way down to the bottom of reality is just chaos with stuff just happening, without understanding, without meaning. I suppose if you're Buddhist, you might say, actually, it's all illusory. Uh, but there's just, you know, there's nothing else, just chaos. Again, that's a terrible place to be, isn't it? Rather than having a king who's this powerful and mighty, who loves us this much that he dies for even messy me so that I might be cared for and have joy and have a future. <laughs> or maybe you have a God who you don't recognise from what we've seen today. I heard someone say, uh, life is like, um, uh, life with God is like uh, some, it's like playing poker in a dark room for the highest stakes and God is there on the other side of the table, not even telling you what the rules of the game are. That's what it feels like. 
Well, look at this God here, who's so different, who reveals himself to us, who dies on the cross for us, even though we are messy, who gives to us all that we need, who knows that you can't do it on your own and knows your need, and so provides Jesus and these words to remind our hearts that there is someone to thrill in and someone good to follow. This is a God who wants to take care of you. In fact, he's so invested in you that even though you have never treated him as king, but only as that kind of enemy on the other side of the poker table, he gave his son to die for you so that you and I might be forgiven, so that you might be his and so that you may have him and his care forever, not just the rest of your life, but forever. This is a king that you want, Jesus. Enjoy Jesus, enjoy Jesus with all your heart and enjoy following him until you enter his rest. There's a question for you for Ava Coffey. I like to, answer, I like to ask this uh, a lot um, or a variant of it. Listen, just ask one another, what are you enjoying about the King of Kings at the moment? What are you enjoying about Jesus? And you, might be, you might say nothing. Can you tell me what you're enjoying to help me? That would be a valid answer. And then it puts the question back on them. Yeah, have you got that? So after coffee, someone comes to you and they say, what are you enjoying about this King of Kings, this Jesus? And you think, I've got nothing. What do you say? I haven't got anything. What are you enjoying? Help me. That's what, that's what ends it, right? So we can have a go at that afterwards. What are you enjoying about the King of Kings? Let's pray. Lord God, we pray that you, by your Spirit, would help us come and sing and shout for joy and come before you with thanksgiving because you are this great King above all gods. You are this amazing Lord who has made us your people so that you might care for us. We love that, Lord, and we love you. And we pray, Lord, that you would help us to be thrilled more and more with you and help us as a church to do that for one another. Pray just for that after, afterwards in coffee, Lord. Thank you, Lord, for the confidence we have that with Jesus we will always be yours, no matter how messy we are, and we will always have that promise of your rest in the future. Amen.